We call upon your name, O Lord, that we may be saved. We confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our hearts. You raised him from the dead. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Amen. When I was a young dad and we had our firstborn there, just the one child, we were doing the best that we could do, including going to the YMCA and having uh, waterproofing lessons for our child. So we enjoyed that, uh, dad and and young daughter in the pool learning this and that, and we did all that. There came a time, though, when she was still very young and really loved the water. We were invited to a dinner, and it was a pool party. And so we came and were directed around straight to the back where everything was set up nicely and wonderfully. And uh, my daughter... uh, knew that we were coming and there was going to be a pool and we were going to go swimming. In her mind, when you see the pool and that's what you're going to do, you go for it. So that's where she went, straight to the edge of the pool, but past the edge and straight down. And in the moment of panic, I dropped uh, all the gear that, you know, parents have when they travel with children and swooped down and pulled this child up out of the water. That's how I remember it. Check with Jennifer. (laughs) I laugh now, but my gosh, what a panic. And the panic and the adrenaline that was the, the whole universe at the moment led into a a more general dread that life can turn on a dime, that things happen so fast. And thank God it happened when we were all right there to do something about it. We read and hear this very familiar story about Peter going down into this very stormy sea and Jesus reaching down after Peter's cry for help, help me Lord, and Jesus pulling Peter back up out of the waves. We're thinking Jesus is this one who saves Now, when we read the Bible, we have several things happening at once. We we are sort of there at that initial scene, the experience that Jesus and Peter and the disciples in the boat had at the time. We, We are also hearing and seeing the early church and their experience of life and faith and why they recorded that, why they remembered that story and what it might have meant to them. And we certainly hear and feel and move on to how it is that this that this reality presented 
impacts us and what the implications are for our life. What does it do for us deep in our hearts? Several things happening at once. So in this story, we can imagine that the early church loved it, needed it, held this close to their breast because it's a story of the context where Jesus has just fed the multitude and now Jesus, though he was far away on the shore, was now in the moment of the storm and in the moment of Peter's immediate need, was right there with him. No wonder the early church loved the idea that Jesus would always be there to feed them with the bread of truth and with the word. Jesus would be there to rescue them when they cried out, Oh God, make speed to save me. And this is one of those things where we cherish the story for the very same reason. We are fed in so many ways by our fellowship, our sacrament, our scripture, our experience of the faith, our encounter of God through life. And we count on God to, to be there. And even if it is not a physical, literal saving of our lives, we are in God's hands. Even if it comes to the point of our death, we remain in God's hands. No wonder we like this. You know, I was at University of St. Thomas this week, and there, there's a statue on one outside the chapel on the walkway, and it's, it's Jesus reaching his hand down just like this with the other hand up. And what I naturally thought of and what I suspect was the, was the scene depicted was the little girl who had died and Jesus saying, Talitha kumi, little one, little girl, get up. But the more I got into our scriptures today, I thought that's, that's the same hand that reached for Peter. Maybe it's this hand that pulls him up and out. We do get in over our heads in our lives, and we do need him. Now, most of the time, we live, this is just the way it is, I think, we live self-sufficiently with, with uh, I think, an illusion that we've got it. And I like the fact that we are trained in our own minds and by others to work hard and to build a sense of responsibility and an initiative to do well for ourselves and for others by that responsibility. St. Augustine of Hippo, I think the, he's the right source for this quotation, is, was the one, I think, who said, work as if everything depended on you and pray as if everything depended on God. I know we are busy with the first part, 
I'm hoping that we can come to understand that the second part is also for us. Everything depends on God. Because that is just true. Our life depends upon God. We rock along thinking we'll only need God in an emergency. But the spirituality that makes sense for the Christian is to realize that we need God all the time. That our very existence hinges on God's reality. Our being comes from, from God's, God, the source of being. And every day we should know this. It's not accidental that the, that the portions of the psalm, O oh God, make speed to save us, O oh Lord, make haste to help us, get placed at the beginning of every evening prayer service. That's the praises that begins that service. I think it was very early in the church, maybe the fourth century, maybe uh, Evagrius, the, the monastic, the desert monastic, who said, start your prayer with this. This is how you start. Make speed to save me. And that should be our perpetual, unconscious, but conscious as well, attitude about our life daily. Because not only do we need God in those times of devastation, we need God, we need to lean and reach out to God at every moment. There is a reaching out for another character in the Bible that we heard about, this Joseph from the Old Testament, this, at the time, youngest son of Joseph, this favored son, Joseph, who finds himself at the bottom of a pit. Now, the reason Joseph is there is that he has brothers who resent him, resent him to the point of violence. He is in a terrible situation. He has come to a place where he has had these dreams and he's told his family about the dreams. And in the dreams, he is the one who is in control and everyone else in the family, including his mother and his father, are sort of dependent upon him. That dream didn't go over too well, as it was told. And so when Jacob sends Joseph out to see his big brothers, this whole, whole bushel of big brothers out there, and he puts on him this coat with long sleeves that no, none of the other boys have, he really sets him up for a terrible situation. They see him coming and they see, here comes this dreamer. Let's put an end to his life. Do you, do, you see, do you see the judgment that's formed, the way their judgment is working for them? Their judgment is formed by the fear that surely his dream can't be true, by the hatred. How dare he think such a thing? by the resentment that they have for him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had evolved from attitudes and behavior 
like that. Fear and resentment and hatred, even to violence. I know as we say our prayers, we go through and we pray for the whole world, but I know that in our prayers today, you are including, no doubt, uh, the people in Virginia and those that are connected with them. I know that you are praying for those who died in the incident in Charlottesville. I know that you're praying for everybody involved, for those who are the victims of violence that's born out of fear and hatred. And possibly, I'll have to work on my own spiritual maturity, possibly you're even praying for those who are victimized by their own hatred and violence and fear. Their own souls pay the price for being caught in just such a turmoil. Their circumstances turn on them when they give in to that. So for everyone involved, those who have lost people, those who are needing to be nursed back to health, in our prayers in a moment, we'll be thinking of them and for people in need throughout the world. And do you know what that means? We'll be praying for ourselves who are so in need. For when these episodes of dramatic dis-ease take place, we can't cordon them off from our own experience, but we realize that we ourselves, as human beings, are caught in the same vulnerability that leads to really destructive things. And so we are praying for ourselves. It's not really only happening out there. And really the solution and the thing we come to is something that involves ourselves. Uh, we find ourselves being changed by God so that we can manifest something better moving forward. We take ownership of the actual sin and the potential to sin so that we can do better with each day. When when Joseph is caught in this situation, they decide they're going to kill him. And they conspire together. And then Reuben, the oldest brother, says, wait, wait. Let's not kill him. Let us not spill blood. Let's put him in that pit over there. And he has in mind, I can come back around and rescue him. Uh, Reuben is, is caught 
between the sentiment that he feels with his brothers and the sentiment that his father has of a love for the son. He is trapped between these two values. So what do we have? A Reuben sandwich. That's what we have. (laughs) I had to lighten it up somewhere. I, I, I had to. So he's caught between his father's love and his brother's hatred, and he has this plan. But his plan doesn't even work. Another brother says, hey, yeah, we can get him out and sell him to the slave traders and, uh, you know, make something off of it. And then he'll be out of our lives, but we won't be murderers. But before they even get there, the Midianites have come and they have pulled Joseph out and they sell him to the Ishmaelites. Genesis is a story on sibling problems from Cain and Abel to, to uh, Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau and now these brothers. So off he goes and what happens but that he, Joseph finds himself in slavery, in Egypt, in the royal court and into more and more problems including prison where he's lost forever, except the Pharaoh has a dream and he comes to be placed with the proper interpretation of this dream into a place of, of unbelievable authority in, in one of the prominent powers of the world, Egypt. He's lifted up and he has control. He's something like the secretary of the Department of Agriculture and he and starts saving grain so that as the famine hits and everybody is destined to be lost, he is in the position of control to be the one who rescues anyone who comes and says, help me quickly, I'm perishing. And it's his father who sends those same brothers to give that message, and they don't know Joseph, but he is the one who says, I will help you. And so the dream has come true. Now they took Joseph, and they pushed him like some small, insignificant apple seed down into the earth. But what came up was a tree that saved his family in a dire situation. And Jesus was the one that was taken in the garden and killed and pushed into a tomb. But his father reached and raised him from death. And then Jesus took us and raises us to life eternal. You see, it's not just in those tough times when our self-reliance kind of hits a snag that we need God and depend on God. We need God every moment. 
So let us not lose the prayer. Let us indeed take upon our lips in this sacrament and in every way we can the name of the Lord. Let us confess with our hearts the belief that God raised him from the dead. And let us say profoundly every day, O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us.